Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. You're listening to the Fade to Gray Network. We invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Through nuanced conversations. And forward thinking. And not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Yes, yes. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Fade to Gray. It's Omar here, and I get to introduce one of the first episodes of 2020 that isn't the health series. And... Wow, what a beginning of 2020 it has been. (laughs) Not even a week into it, and Australia is on fire, and there's threats and rumors of World War III. Actually, that's what we're getting into today in this conversation. Um, I've recently reconnected with an old buddy of mine who is working in intelligence in the military, and I thought it would be appropriate to have him on and kind of discuss the climate and what's going on in the world today. So here we go. Yo, Andy, kick that music, boy. I hear you get your news from CNN. All these other fuckers watching Fox News again. Yo, Chris, don't they know that that shit is whack? Hell yeah, Andy, it is a white and black. FG fan, bam, we found another way. There's some noobs, motherfucker, on fade to gray. What is up, ladies and gentlemen of Fade to Gray? It is the news for noobs, and oh my God, it is the end of the world as we know it. Yes, indeed, and I feel fine. Um, we've got World War Three. I mean, it's a brand new year, right? 2020, and we've already got uh, World War Three at the helm. I hope uh, not. So, God, I hope not. No, nah, there's no way. So, uh, you know, we thought as as news for noobs, it would be important to go ahead and get that information out there for you. Cause I know that you don't listen to any of those crazy idiots over there at CNN or you know, Fox news. You want to stick with the actual truth right here on the news for noobs. So, uh, made <laughs> super the right decision. excited. They've made the right decision. Super excited. We have a special guest on today, actually one of Omar's old friends. Uh, and Omar, do you want to tell us a little bit about our guest today? 
Sure, man. I am so excited to have my buddy Ash on today. Um, it's not his real name, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen this dude in like over a decade. Would you say that's correct, Ash? Yeah, it's about right. And um, we met out in California at a summer camp, and um, Ash was a dancer and an artist of types when I met him. Mm. And we didn't speak in over a decade, reconnected about a month ago, come to find out that he is now in the military. And not only is he in the military, he's in counterterrorism. And I was like, wow, that's a change. Um, to go from, you know, liberal California dude to, you know, straight up working for the man. So we talked a little bit about that. <laughs> and obviously with um, the climate and stuff going on in the news right now, I thought it was be very relevant to have him on. So, Ash, I really appreciate you coming on. And obviously you can't tell us everything, but the nature of your job. But um, just thank you for you know doing this. This is important. So I appreciate it. Pleasure. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to it. Yeah, is this is this something that you do often, even in your personal life? You know, try and be a resource for for people who have questions about um, the world at large, or at least from from your perspective and how you see it. Uh, actually, yes. Um, kind of like we were talking about in our preamble, and, and we'll become apparent in the recording. There's a ton of things I can say, and I'm, I'm you know pretty good about that. But what I can say, um, I am pretty open with people. Um, because like I said to you guys earlier, education is wildly important. If I have to be honest, it's a big part of why I joined. Um, it was just a matter of being a, a sort of searcher of knowledge and not to sound too out there, but sort of truth. And I, there's a point at which I realized in the, in the, the country, we have a lot of people who uh, their beliefs stem from, from predisposed uh, biases and, and, and isms they believe in, whether they fully accept it or fully aware of it or not. Um, and so they, you know, are inclined to listen to a CNN or a Fox News or a Mother Jones or a Breitbart um, without realizing that they, they will decide what they believe before it's told them. And, whether, you know, obvious stuff, we all know this, they'll get stuck in an echo chamber, reject anything that doesn't support the worldview. So seeing that, I finally decided, you know what, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I want a front row seat to history. I want to know what, if I'm wrong, jump in feet first and I, it's been absolutely the right decision and uh i, I, I love my job to be honest <laughs> it's obviously hard work but um it's, it's the right decision for me and to answer your question yeah i take that knowledge and that's exactly what i wanted and i feel like i have a better understanding of the world and i try to help others have that as much as i can provided they're willing to listen <laughs> so yeah. right well was was there a catalyst to uh to you kind of uh wanting to know more, wanting to know the truth, or were you just always like that? Was Or was there something in your life that actually happened? You you said, I need to dive deeper in this. Um, I guess there's multiple ways to answer that, right? The uh, simple way is, yeah, I've always had that temperament. Uh, when I was a small child, I've always been, and Omar can, can attest to this, I was, I was kind of probably a weird kid looking back. I was, I've always been a bit of a thinker. Um, I've always been I mean, simply put, yeah, I've always wanted to, to, to know the truth. I had that, that bug in me. Uh, before I had the vocabulary to express that, I was always the kind of person who was like, but why though? Um, when I was in middle school, actually, uh, one of my teachers gave um, a present to all the, the kids in his class after the class. Like it was his, his way of saying like, you're the most likely to do this, you're the most likely to do that. Gave one kid like a tool set because he was in the car. Was like, you're gonna become a mechanic. And he said, I thought long and hard about giving this so I gave him uh, this book. It was The Demon Haunted World by Carl Sagan. Uh -huh. Oh, wow, yeah. yeah. And he was like, 
I, I gave this to us because it's most likely to be a philosopher. He said, he's like, he always asked why, which is true. Everything he'd say in the country, why, 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 why? Um, so yeah, that's, that's always who I've been. Uh, as far as a catalyst though, honestly, mm. 9-11, man, 9-11. When that happened, pretty young, but I knew, I was like, this is important. And, uh, you know, not long after that, I, I became about old enough to join the military in the first place. And I, I my knee-jerk response was to do it. At the time, I was very religious, and so I thought, like, this is it. It's a battle of good and evil. Right. But something yeah. in me said, "Don't do not do it," because you don't you don't understand. Um, I started seeing just the controversy of like they have weapons of mass destruction. They don't. Bin Laden, Syria's not. This is about oil. It's not. And I knew enough even then to say, like, hold up. I don't know what's going on. Let me not do this. And uh, quick little, I guess, aside. I was called a coward by like some of my family, some of my cousins who were around the same age were like, "Yeah, I'm gonna join. You fucking coward," and you know gotten fights and stuff over it but here i am years later and they didn't join <laughs> wow but, um, that's amazing and 9-11 was a huge thing man and then finally the last catalyst was uh i read philosophy a lot and uh there's a philosopher montaigne who said uh the ancients said to learn philosophy is to learn to live well and then montaigne said i would act that to learn to live is to learn to die so to learn philosophy is to learn to die well and uh, Montaigne was a military man himself, actually. Uh, a lot of people don't know Plato was as well. Plato was Plato's military nickname. Um, there's a philosopher, Wittgenstein, who wrote his, his Logico uh, Tractatus Philosophicus in the Trenches of War I. So a lot of my philosophical heroes were, were men of war and thinkers. And it, it all came together for me. I was like, you know, this is sort of ordained by my path as, a philo- as someone's into philosophy, but then also it's time. I'm, I'm old enough, I know enough, I know enough to, to enter this and not sacrifice who I am. And, and uh so i did yeah that's awesome yeah that's absolutely incredible i'm super stoked to hear you know more about your story and and kind of what you do and the big hot button right now of course on everyone's mind is what's happening with donald trump and iran Mm. um and so you have a lot of well i mean it's pretty divisive you've got cnn saying oh this is a big mistake uh, you know, Trump is a monster and you've got Fox over here saying, oh, well, you know, this was the right choice to make. And so, you know, as someone who's on the inside and knows more about this than any of those journalists that are just trying to get you glued to the TV, um, you know, what is your take on this? Like, what do you think is happening and, and what's going on over there? Big question. Um, let me start by saying sometimes in the same way that sometimes a good idea doesn't work and that doesn't make it a bad idea. There are times where a bad idea produces some, some interesting and sometimes good outcomes that didn't make it a good idea, but it is what it is, right? I think what has happened uh, probably is closer to the latter. It's probably fundamentally what was, what was kind of a bad idea, but it's, it's what's happened. And actually there's a lot of ways in which you know, my job, I guess full disclosure, I'm, I'm an analyst to be specific. Um, my job is obviously to understand those sorts of things and be like, okay, well, what can come out of this? What can we make of this? What's going to be blowback, second, third order effects, a term we use a lot. So um, in, a, in a super nutshell, fundamentally, terrible idea on paper. Um, I've, I've worked in circles before where exactly these decisions he just made were being discussed and were... Um, suggested that he doesn't follow this course of action. And it sounds like he did. So like I said, my, my, my default position was this was a bad idea. 
but I also see how in certain ways the timing of this mixed work, it just might fucking work. Um, I don't know if you guys, excuse my language, I don't know if you got curse. No, <laughs> say whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, it just may fucking work. Um, if you want me to go into the whys a little bit. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, maybe you could explain like exactly what's happened. So, I mean, let's set it up. Uh, basically, mm. we know that Iran attacked an American embassy, but like, why are they even attacking American embassies or whatever? Like, what is the oh, wow. deal over there? L- let everyone know. Okay, so... I'm going to try not to start at the true beginning because I'd be going back to, you know, thousand years. Um, right. <laughs> all right. So Iran, Iraq is uh, marginally a Shia majority country, mm-hmm. right? Um, people will just say it's a Shia majority country offhand. It's actually really, really close. I forget the exact number off my head right now, but it's something like, you know, 55 to 45 Shia is Sunni. Um, and that's not even counting all the different tribal uh, elements that, live that aren't Shia or Sunni or the Kurds that are in the north. Um, but let's just say, for all intents and purposes, it's by a sliver of Shia majority. Under Saddam Hussein, the Shia were oppressed because Saddam Hussein was a Sunni overlord. And you have to understand that to understand right. Iraq, that it's a country that has a Shia majority, but that was controlled and abused by a Sunni, a Sunni strongman who, you know, the U.S. backed at various times and in the end obviously didn't. Right next door to Iraq, of course, you have Iran, which is the Shia majority country, uh, the Shia powerhouse in the world, the only country in the world where the Shia have um, sort of unquestioned, unrivaled power. Um, so the history of, of uh, Iraq and Iran since the Iranian Revolution, 1979, has been one where the, again, I'm simplifying to a point here, but the Iraq, the uh, Iranian regime under the Ayatollah um, has been sort of uh, courting the Shia minority uh, a majority in Iraq that was at for a long time being oppressed by Saddam Hussein. So you had a lot of uh, young men who were Shia partisans in Iraq um, who fought against Saddam at various times. Over the years, these guys were expelled from the country or fled the country, um, obviously are killed, um, and they fled largely into Iran. Uh, Iran, for years and years, trained them, sent them back in to do certain covert actions, but for the most part, kept them back in Iran. Fast forward, to simplify, once we took out Saddam, that was when Iran said, okay, now go, snap their finger, hatch all these guys back into Iraq. Now, this is the bad old days of, of uh, the mid 2000s, right? This is 2000, let's say three through about 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, if you remember what the mainstream media was saying, and you know, I, I, mainstream media, big buzzword, the media at large, because nobody really knew what was going on at the time. Um, they were saying that that was an insurgency. There was an Iraqi insurgency that people didn't want to right. see. Okay, the fact is Iranian proxies in Iraq didn't want us there. The people of Iraq, honestly, in some ways wanted us, some, sometimes didn't. Obviously, we you know, did things that were really stupid and uh, resulted in collateral damage. But for the most part, we haven't heard their opinion on this, on the, on the matter. Um, the most vocal group in Iraq since the fall of Saddam Hussein has been these, Iraq, these uh, Iraqis who were in Iran's pocket. Um, so that was that. And then, of course, you get the rise of ISIS. Um, and that changed everything. Then there's a new enemy that everyone could concentrate on, literally everybody. Um, I guess a quick aside, in some ways, ISIS coming on the scene was an opportunity for literally every country in the world to try to realign things in the Middle East, right? Because it gave us, it gave Russia, it gave Turkey, it gave Iran, it gave literally everybody an enemy that we could all say, this is why we're doing everything because they're so dangerous, but allowed right. us all to sort of maneuver around that. It's like, imagine all these... And beasts at the watering hole 
and they get to say we're here for the water, but really they're sizing each other up across the pond. The Can we time. pause on that for a second, um, Ash? Like, absolutely. because isn't that just uh, very convenient? Mm. Like that yeah, all yeah. of a sudden now we have an actual like enemy that we can focus on and stuff and they just popped out of nowhere. Um, what, so I'm kind of like, you know me, we haven't spoken in a long time, but I question a lot of things as well. And I, obviously I'm listening to you talk and I'm like, man, I miss this, this, this level of deep <laughs> thought in the way that you articulate yourself, man, this is great. But so I'm going to ask kind of a, what might be considered a stupid question, but like, what is ISIS? Like from my understanding, you can tell me if how off base I might be that basically it's just like more of mercenaries than uh actual like religious fac factions or anything like that i heard that there's not a whole lot of religion mm -hmm. tied behind it basically it's just like that's not entirely wrong okay. yeah okay okay so so uh, uh, and this okay the, the way it is with a lot of these groups is the funny thing is it I'm going to talk about isis and it, it sounds like they're unique but actually you see this in the taliban you see it in al-qaeda you see it all over the place so the, the hardliners that make up like this, you know, 20 something, I'm just throwing that number out there, but for the sake of an idea of proportion, let's say 20% of these guys are true, died in the wool hardliners. They're Sunni extremists. That means they're of the same basic uh, sect of Islam as like Al-Qaeda, the Taliban, the majority of, of Muslims honestly are Sunni, but of course the majority of Muslims aren't violent psychos, right? Um, so the Yabandi, Islam, all these different sort of more extreme sects of Sunni Islam that are more militant, more believed in violent jihad, mm -hmm. they fall into that camp of those guys. Um, among them, though, ISIS was was uh, even more extreme than, than Al Qaeda in some ways. In particular, it was their willingness to attack any Muslim who didn't believe exactly what they believed. Right. So the big falling out between ISIS and Al Qaeda, again, the hardlines. To your, no, you're fine. your question uh, in a second was uh, you had uh, Zarqawi, which was the, the head of, it wasn't called ISIS at the time, it was like the Mujahideen Shura Council, it had several names, but he was a young up and coming guy in the jihadosphere. Uh, bin Laden was like, this dude's got a lot of talent, but the difference was Bin Laden and all these guys were like, hey, we are not going to kill Shias now. That's for the future. Right now, the, 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 the project's to drive out the West, to attack the, the far enemy. As a, as a, as a Al Qaeda calls us. Um, Zarqawi was like, nah, bro, it, it's time. They know better. You, by the work you guys have done, every Muslim in the world should know this is the true Islam. And if they don't, they got a week. If they don't uh, wow. convert, we kill them. He was so effective that they left him in place for years in Iraq, but that actually exacerbated things in Iraq a lot. So during that same insurgency period I was talking about, these guys were looking around and they were just killing anybody. If you're American, you're dead. If you're Shia, you're dead. If you're Sunni, but you don't believe what they believe, you're dead. Um, so Al-Qaeda was like, God damn, he's good. We can't stand this kid, but man, he's, he's beast. Um, and that's the that's the, the, the germ that became ISIS. We killed Zarqawi, um, his people, you know, the al-Baghdadis, they ended up doing certain things. Eventually, that's where we get ISIS. At. So that's the hardline guys in, in Al-Qaeda. That's that small percent that's the core. Yes, the further out you radiate from that 20%, roughly, you know, the more you get into the guys who are essentially just mercenaries, like you said, the guys who just want uh, money or the guys who just want to fight. Cause a lot of these guys just, you know, I hate to say it, but in a lot of ways it's not that different from any military force. You know, um, you got guys like me out there who 
want to do something, want to make a difference and want to really get at something. But then frankly speaking, you got cats who, who they feel they want to make a difference, but at the same time, they just want glory. They want to fight. They want to go out there and, and they, want, they want that. They want that action. And it's no different for them. A lot of those guys like that. And then of course you got those, those young idiots who, you know, joined uh, from some Western country because they think, hey, this is, this is it. I get to play like rebel against the evil empire. And they got over there and it, it wasn't at all they thought it was. And they right. right and moms and they even had like, uh, they even yeah, had like random people right just decide to go there on their own, right? Like Joe oh, yeah. from Indiana decided to get a plane ticket over yep. there and, and try to go fight. <laughs> yep. And there's, there's, it's funny. This is on the internet. This is on open. So nothing I've said so far, you can't Google and find if you just know where to look. The problem with our age isn't that the information isn't out there. The problem is there's so much false information that the average person doesn't know how it's to differentiate. Flooded, yeah. It's flooded. So everything I've said, honestly, you can you can just Google and find this stuff. There's books written on it, copious amounts of articles. There's blogs, but I say that by way of saying uh, Joe Schmo from Indiana. There's bl- there's blogs on the internet that, that chronicle the lives of guys like that. And almost every time they try, it's like, oh my god, this is not what I thought. Mm, these ISIS guys are scary. <laughs> Bring me home. Every time, turns, like, I love that voice, voice man. So sad. Yeah. Think- <laughs> oh my god, see me. <laughs> yeah. Happens a lot. Um, I like my head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Precisely. Um, but yeah, to, to answer your question, Omar, yes, there's a sizable portion of of ISIS that is effectively mercenaries. But then, like I said, honestly, that's the same as lies. The Taliban. They talk like they are like true believers. A lot of those guys are like, I'm starving. I can't feed my family. If I die, the Taliban will pay an insurance cost to my family. So I join the Taliban. A lot of it's, it's like that. Can I just ask the, the dumb question that I think a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, maybe wonder, maybe, maybe some people already know. How does an organization like that even get money? I don't understand that. Hmm. I actually don't. I actually just, that's a basic principle for Having something, yeah. you know, or, organization that big, you know, you obviously have funding, but that's something I don't know is how they get funding. Yeah. Do they just steal? Are they actually funded? What's going on there? All of the above, interestingly mm-hmm. enough. Um, so it's a little different case by case. It depends on the, what they have at their disposal in their particular uh, region, obviously, right? Uh, Afghanistan, there ain't no oil. In Iraq, there is. So they're going to exploit these different things different ways. But basically, yes, both. Um, the Taliban, for instance, they have, they get donations, from like a lot of the Gulf states. Um, you get to like Hamas, they get donations from here in America. There's a lot of well-meaning people who will just say, okay, this, this is an oppressed group, send them cash. Um, at the same time though, that's never quite enough. So then they get into illicit deals. The Taliban has all that opium. So mm. a lot of the opium trade in the world originates in, you know, you hear the term like Hindu Kush, things like that. I mean, that's that area. That's that area. So opium, marijuana, all that stuff, a lot of that comes the from there. Lash cargo. When you get into opium, you get to, exactly. Yeah. yeah, there you go. When you get to that area, um, things are super interesting because the uh, <laughs> a lot of that opium starts in illicit circles in the Taliban, but it ends up in you know legal drugs here in the states. And the uh, pharmaceutical industry knows that. And there's a point where they're like, "Hey, man, you can't disturb that too much." And I don't mean that to like start some debate about big pharma being good or evil. It's like I think it's necessary. I get it. We need that stuff to a point. And so it's not a matter of okay. If the Taliban was not in power and there was a sympathetic Western government in in uh, Afghanistan, that opium would still be there. We still need it. So then it wouldn't be a bad thing anymore. We'd have like a legal trade with a partner. So it's just, you know what I'm saying? It's not a matter of like, oh, big pharma. It's like the fact is a huge part of those opium comes from there and somebody's got to get it to us. So it's like this delicate situation where it's like, that's a big part of their money. But if we disturb that, we're messing up a lot of things that, you know, people, people rely on. Yeah, it gets really messy too, though, because then you have like the U.S. government 
like young people going over there and basically just guarding opium fields like the whole time and then defecting and, and telling their story because they're like, this is not what I signed up for. And yeah, it's a mess. This 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 is a complicated situation, to say the least. <laughs> One of the other ways that these militant groups are funded is by the U.S. government, right? Uh, that's maybe a slight overstatement, but at the same time, once, okay, so to clarify, you go back to the beginning of the Taliban when they were fighting against the Russians, um, when they were, you know, the, the brave Mujahideen, um, that's not quite fair. Let me be clear. That's a sensitive one. The Mujahideen weren't necessarily the Taliban. A lot of those guys after the Soviets left were our allies and wanted to start a reasonable government and they started infighting. And of that infighting, the ones who succeeded were down to the Taliban. So it wasn't all the guys back in the, the 70s who were fighting the Soviets. Some of them, looking back, were like really good human beings. And they were all Mujahideen. But it, so we funded the, we helped to uh, aid the Mujahideen. Some of which ended up becoming our enemies, some of which became our allies, but they're, they're dead now. Um, so in that way, yes, things like that. Um, there are times where like, uh, let's say Lebanon, right? Lebanese Hezbollah was a militant organization who's against us. We give arms to the uh, government of Lebanon, which is uh, uh, not allied with, with Hezbollah. It's an opposition group in the country. But sometimes we can track by the serial numbers of those weapons that they end up in the hands of Hezbollah. Um, Yemen is a good example, right? We give arms to a certain population in Yemen to fight against certain rebel groups. But then once again, we see those arms end up in them because you can't control how stuff goes. If they kill the people who give the arms so they can take the arms. If one of those guys' cousin is one of them and he's an insider, he can give them the arms. If those arms end up on the black market because these people to a point are just like, fuck, I need money. I'm gonna sell this stuff the Americans gave me. It come, come right back around. And money's the same way. You may give money to a certain group, but then they may funnel money back to the other one, Iraq, back to bring it all back around. Um, we have the train and assist program with the Iraqi government, right? Um, good idea in theory, right? Train them to fight their own battles so they don't have to be there. Well, like I said, a lot of those guys were oppressed by Saddam. They joined the, they joined the, the army, they use those skills, and then they leave, and then they join the Shia militia groups. Uh, if, if you want this to be a perfect segue back into what we were talking about, um, they end up joining, they, they, we didn't know the whole time, they were some of those guys who escaped into Iran and were trained by Iraq. They come back in and say, hey, America's got this great program, and they give money and, and, and uh, training and weapons to the Iraqi government. If I just joined that, I got access to that, which is a huge issue right now, actually, in Iraq. So... It isn't that we like say, hey, man, here's some money. Go do some shit. And we're, we're a bunch of lies. It's just complicated. Right. It's just it's hard. It's impossible for me to decide what they do with the arms and the money we give them um, in a nutshell. So I, I no, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. I was going to say I, I, I could get back into the, the situation in Iraq if you guys want now. Yeah. Um, so Saddam Hussein's toppled. Uh, the Shia guys come back in. We fight them, ISIS comes up. ISIS gives everybody sort of this focus. Um, but after, in a nutshell, after ISIS was toppled, Battle of Mosul, big turning point, a lot of these Shia guys, uh, they were instrumental in defeating ISIS. With American air power, that's the thing. They use, in their rhetoric, they say, we fought off ISIS, but the fact is, like, it was, a, it was very much a joint effort. We did a lot of heavy lifting from the air, because they none of them got a viable air force, and air force is king these days, uh, dropping, you know, warheads on forests, as we said. You know, on different people. Um, that, that helps immensely in urban. Shit, all world. you need is drones now. You know, <laughs> pretty, pretty much, man. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, drones. If if drones, if American drones were on the battlefield in Iraq in the fight versus ISIS, man, it would have been just a lot more horrible than it was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's anyway. Obama. So the uh, obesity. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> if people criticize his drone use a lot, but it was one of those kind of funny things where it's like 
is, is, is inhumane or whatever you want to say as it sounds, that's somebody on the ground who doesn't have to be on the ground or somebody who doesn't have to be on the ground face to face getting killed. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's it was wild actually. It was in a, in a, this may become a, a topic of our discussion, but the different morality when you get into these situations is, is very interesting. Yeah, the greater good. In a sense, I mean, I hate that term, but like something I've become fond of just seeing is like morality is different in different context. It just is. 5,000 young men over here to fight and possibly die is inherently different from the morality of a guy at a grocery store who has to be polite. It's just, it's, it's, and that, I'm not impugning either one of those moralities. We need them. And in, in civil society, I need to be polite to show you I'm not going to hurt you. I need to have certain kinds of manners. I need to do certain things. When I'm on a battlefield, those, the, that morality just doesn't make sense. Right. It's not the same thing anymore. And that's a very interesting thing to me. I've realized very interesting about humans is the, the lack of understanding of that from respect for that within different spheres, but then also the, the ability to adapt to it when, when it's you in that situation. It's something else to me. Um, you say there's a lot of gray area there, then, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. It's uh, that's a common term. We work in the gray. They say. <laughs> yeah. Can we all? Um, but uh, sorry, Rack. I'm sorry. I keep I keep interrupting myself. Huh? No, keep, keep going. going. Keep going. Oh, okay. Um. So, uh, ISIS is going. Okay. So after the fall of ISIS, you have tens of thousands of uh highly trained, now battle-hardened um, Shia militiamen who, once again, just to, to hit on the point, the mainstream media, or the media in general at the time, was saying these are Iraqi militias who are finally taking, uh, standing up for the country. This is awesome. Like I said, these weren't, yes, they were Iraqi technically, but they were Iranian agents who had been sent back into the country trained. And, uh, you know, so now you got these tens of thousands of guys running around. They're armed, they're highly trained, they're battle-hardened. You have a situation like Mosul, where if they liberated the city of Mosul, which is a Sunni majority city, and the Sunnis were like, hey man, can you leave? They were like, nah, but we're good. We're going to stay here. We like it here. So they were like, oh, what are you guys doing? It's just shady stuff like that that was happening. So the Iraqi government was like, mm, we now have all these highly trained Iranian proxies in the country. What do we do? So then they, once again, simplifying, introduce a measure to control them, which is organizing them into something called the Popular Mobilization Forces under a government institution called the Popular Mobilization Committee. And it made them sort of an adjunct military to the Iraqi military. And that was a way that, to sort of, you know, um, like I said, give them an element of control. The blowback from that is our, like I said, our agreement with the Iraqi military, the train assist program, was members of the Iraqi military, they now have access to that. So we're training these guys. We're training, you know, I trained 200 dudes. I don't know who is one of them or not, but I know they're there. And uh, it, was, it was a mess situation. Anyway, so you ask what's happening right now in Iraq. These militia groups, have had the, the mission the entire time of obviously taking over Iraq and pushing out the Americans because we're you know a big obstacle to that. Um, and a lot of things they've done since then have been sort of jockeying to try to put pressure on the Iraqi government to remove us or put us in situations where you know it's our it's our best interest to move. Yada yada yada. Um, so yeah, little actions here and there of like bombing U.S. embassies. Um, there's a timeline that's out there on the internet right now that shows that every attack against the U.S. position by a Shia militia group in the last couple of years. Um, and for a long time, we wouldn't talk about it because it was it was politically convenient to talk about the, the fact that you know, this was happening you know, for fear of, of starting a war with, with these proxies possibly around. 
yeah, they do these little uh, sort of death by a thousand cut type things, you know, sending that shoot a Katusha rocket near us, but not hit anybody because they want to show, hey, we can kill you, um, things like that. Finally, that came to a head um, where one of these, you know, the, the other week, uh, they lobbed 30 Katushas at, at a military position in Iraq, injured a bunch of Iraqi military guys, by the way, and killed one American contractor. Um, and that has been considered the red line for a long time. If you kill an American, we're going to fuck you up. And they killed an American. Wow. So we fucked them up. Do you think that that was their uh, intention? So uh, great question. I'm glad you asked that question. Um, this is something that even people, a lot of people in my, in my field aren't grasping. So I don't think it was their intention. I could be wrong. That's the nature of my job. But here's the way I see it. A lot of these groups, okay, so we sanctioned Iran to the point where they're almost crippled recently. You may have been aware. Um, they haven't been able to fund a lot of these proxies and they haven't been able to fund to appoint a lot of their own internal stuff. Iran's having a whole bunch of strife internally. I don't know if you guys know that they had to kill about 1,500 protesters inside their own country, Iranian protesters against the regime. Wow. Um, in I Iraq. Know that. You're yeah, saying that the Iranian government killed how many? 1,500. About 1,500. Good. Yeah, 1,500 right. of their own people that are protesting? Yeah, in, in Iran. This is this has been going on for Iran has been having a, a, a protest every other week for the last two years, and nobody really talks about it because the totalitarian regime is, this doesn't get out. Once again, you can find this on the internet. I'm not, it, there's plenty of Iranian activists on Twitter who are constantly like, hey, look at this demonstration. Oh my God, they're killing me. Does a place like mm. RT report on that at all? Nobody pays attention. Great question about RT. You know what RT yeah. is, right? Okay. <laughs> I don't. Good. Um, Russia Today, yeah. <laughs> and, and they're pretty upfront about being uh, Russian propaganda. Yes. Their, their slogan is like basically news for the West from a Russian perspective. Yeah. Um, no, they don't. That You don't see them report on the, that kind of stuff in Iran a lot. They're really quick, obviously. And I get it. Um, this isn't, once again, I, I didn't really say passing judgment on them. They're quick to like, report our shortcomings, but that's the point. They're, they're Russian propaganda. We do the same thing in Russia, I get it. Um, but yeah, no, they, you don't see them talk about the internals of Iran much. Honestly, right now, nobody talks about that much. You have to see it on Twitter or randomly, in the, to, to their credit, you see sometimes on, on Fox News, sometimes they'll they'll call out Iran a little bit. Did also. you just shout out Fox News? Man. Let me be clear. <laughs> I think Fox News is a joke, and when I grew up, once you talk about catalyst for me joining the military. That's one of the main, I, I detested Bill O'Reilly when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, it's one of those weird things you learn when you get into this world is like, sometimes the frothing at the mouth, uh, xenophobia and, and jingoism of a certain outlet, they're, they're the only people to call out people sometimes because they're predisposed to be like, oh, our enemies, they're everywhere, we hate them all. So sometimes they'll be the ones who crack the story on like, yeah, Iran did something horrible when, you know, CNN is, is trying to sort of play the cool-headed media so they may ignore something like that. It's just the, it's the, the nature of the beast, man. It's, it's, it's mess. Um, but yeah, uh, no, RT won't. Um, but continuing, yes. Uh, so Iran's not in a good way in its own country. We're sanctioned to the point where they're paying. The middle class in that country, they know what's going on. They don't blame the U.S. They're like, hey, man, y'all want us to blame the U.S. for these sanctions? We know it's because of you. You guys are assholes. Stop doing what you're doing. The U.S. won't sanction us. So they're like, shut the fuck up. Stay in your homes. We're like, we will not. And then it's like, boom, you're dead. Um, in Iraq, wow. same thing. It's been a whole bunch of popular protests in Iraq against uh, the, against the, the Iranian project in Iraq. Um, once again, all over Twitter, you see, it, if, you, if, you, if you know where to look, you see this stuff. Um, and now these people were being killed uh, by a uh, militia group in, in, in uh, Iraq. They were shooting tear gas canisters into the crowd and they started aiming them at people, at their faces. And that, that stuff comes out at hundreds of miles per hour. It was blowing people's heads apart. 
Whoa. Jesus this Christ. Is Whoa. So this is the backdrop of what was going on in Iraq. Look it up. It's I'm not telling you anything classified. This is you can find this stuff on the internet. Um so there's all this pressure against them. So then what do they do? They're like, hey man, we need to ratchet up our pressure against the US. We need to distract. So they launched these 32 rockets at this military base. You asked me, was that an intention to kill an American contractor? Do you think you could shoot 30 rockets at one man? No, they just lobbed the rockets at the base. Um, like I said, most people were injured were Iraqi military, but they knew it was an American position. So it was trying to put pressure on, it was trying to, to, to stoke some sort of reaction. And, and that's exactly what it did. Reasonable reaction though. You kill one, we said it, you kill one of us, we're gonna hurt you. So we targeted a lot of that militia's positions to degrade their ability to carry out such attacks. Um, the militias tried to use it as, oh, look, it's, it's an attack on Iraqi sovereignty. And then they stormed uh, the embassy. Now, uh, interesting about that situation, if you look at pictures, a lot of those idiots are still wearing their uniforms and they're wearing their tabs from that militia. So they're trying to pawn it off as a popular thing going at the, at the, at the embassy, but they were clearly militiamen and their supporters. They even carried the flags of that militia group and they were chanting the typical sort of pro-Iranian death to America chant that you don't see popular protesters in Iraq chanting. While that was happening, the people over in Tahrir Square, a few miles away, were, uh, they changed their chant to, in Arabic, um, the people at the embassy are not with us. So they, their bluff kind of got called. I think they were trying to make it sort of a Benghazi type moment. Maybe the Americans will shoot somebody. We can say, look, they killed. Nothing happened. We just exercised a reasonable amount of restraint. And then they left like, yeah, I think our message was met, but no, it was, it was a dud. Um, after that, things got, they moved super quick and got, frankly speaking, confusing for everybody. Um, and I guess I won't go into the, this is where, this is where I like the details of which I can't go into. But the next thing that happened is of course we killed uh, uh, General Ghassan Soleimani. Um, I'll pause right now if you have any questions because this is where things get pretty meaty. Yeah, let me ask you about General Soleimani because you know Fox News is making him out to look like a monster, and then you've got liberal media saying that he was a revered leader. Working so, for the Allies, get... from what I've also heard that sometimes, mm, at some yeah, point. this gets this exactly. This way things are complicated. Um, so, two Fox News saying he was a monster, and uh, the liberal media saying he was, he was a, a revered person. My response is, por que no los dos? Why not both? I thought you said you didn't um, know more than one language. He was language. certainly revered. Sir, sir. What's <laughs> I that? <said> that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I saw that on a, that's a meme, guys. Was that a World War Three meme? Um, memes, this one. Um, if you haven't, if but, you haven't uh, heard, your World War Three yeah, memes are not funny. Stop <laughs> posting them. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. Uh, I, I think, <laughs> never mind, I, I won't, I wasn't going to something personal but uh i didn't mean to post no, I did, I did. And everybody's free to uh, that's what okay. facebook is and okay. i just threw I my opinion out like, there too that's what this yeah is. I, it said like share somebody it was like share now and i was like what does this button do and i hit it and it went to my my, my page i was like no and i had to like delete it really quick because i didn't <laughs> want to get on that and yeah but some of them are kind of funny i'm not gonna lie um anyway so yeah so he's obviously revered the simplest thing is he's revered among his allies right obviously like the iranian regime he has been Okay, let me take a step back and talk about this man's role so you understand what I mean when I say that. Um, the Iranian Revolution, I'm sorry, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard, it's a common misnomer to call them is the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. You're like an idiot if you say it in my circles. It's the Islamic Revolutionary Guard, the IRGC. They are the, uh, the Ayatollahs, like, they began as like his personal militia during the Iranian Revolution. And over time, they become this sort of secondary military power in Iran. It's a very interesting situation to have. Iran has a president. It has its own military. And then on top of that, laid over the top of that, you have the Ayatollah, the Supreme Leader, 
and his is a Islamic Revolutionary Guard, the IGC. And at times that's been a weird competing sort of thing in the country, but it exists such that now that's really the main power is the Indian Revolutionary Guard. So he was the head of a unit, a sort of subsection of the IRGC called the Quds Force. And Qud is mean, it means Jerusalem. It sort of points out the Islamic nature of it. And you know, Jerusalem is the holy city to all of them. But it's like, a, it's sort of a, a Farsi shorthand for Jerusalem, Quds. So the Quds Force, the Jerusalem Force. And the whole point of the Quds Force was to be these sort of external operations of the IRGC. They were to secure the revolution abroad. So they acted as sort of like uh, American special forces, like to go and train, um, opposition parties within a country to, you know, take certain actions. The, they also acted sort of like the CIA. They had like the degree of authority to do whatever they needed to. The Ayatollah at one point said, I give Soleimani permission to do whatever he needs to do to secure the revolution abroad. Literally, he was like the man's carte blanche to, to do anything he wants. So that means that he was responsible. This is a fact. He was responsible for everything from the setting up and training of these militias in Iraq that I've been talking about to helping to train and arm Lebanese Hezbollah in, uh, in Lebanon to doing the same thing in Syria with a lot of their militia groups and everything like that, to arming the Houthi rebels down in Yemen to fight against Saudi Arabia, um, and even to funneling aid to the uh, Afghan Taliban at, at times. Um, and by extension, you can see how Hezbollah has uh, connections to the drug trade in South America, all the way through the Mexican cartels. This is the guy that like, th th a lot of this was his, his brainchild. That's his position. So in those circles, hell yeah, he's revered. He's, he's, you know, this is amazing to them. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, you have a lot of people in all militaries who are like that. That's he's kind of a genius. He is. He is an admirable guy as a patriot to his own country. We don't like him, but like, I mean, he's good. He's good what he does. Um, and then you radiate for, out from that. Any sympathizers any of these groups have? Yeah, they're also going to think he's pretty cool. You know, they may not be actually in these groups. But anybody who has that sort of anti-West, anti-imperial perspective, they may look at him as something of a hero. Um. On the other hand, to call him a monster, while that's obviously, that's, that's loaded language, right? It's obviously trying to build up a certain emotional response to him. What they're talking about is everything I just said. Dehumanize or dehumanize, like make him yeah. not look like They're him. trying to dehumanize the guy. That's the <laughs> word. <laughs> I was like, yeah. there's a word. <laughs> Words. <laughs> Omerisms. What did I say? Dehumanify. De dehumanify. <laughs> <laughs> I say it was a dehumanify. <laughs> I know over there in the Middle you know, East that they like to dehumanify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very dehumid over there. Um, very dry. But uh, yeah, so it, honestly, the same thing. In short, the same evidences that you could use against him to say he's a monster are the same evidences by which other people admire him. You know. Um, I will say this though, and this is, I feel this is incumbent on me to say, for people in the United States, understand this, the enemy of my enemy is not always my friend. If you consider like Trump to be your enemy, right? Because he's, he's Trump. That doesn't mean <laughs> that just because somebody doesn't, he doesn't like somebody that makes them somebody you should sympathize with. Sometimes the enemy of your enemy is just another war criminal. And that's the case in Gosman Soleimani. Like if you don't approve things we've done, you can't prove it. It's hypocritical to prove things he's done because he's done the same thing for someone else. Right. And a lot of times these things are things that, that have resulted in the deaths of, of our sons and daughters as Americans or someone else's as Sunni Iraqis. Like I said, he's the man. So I said they start shooting people in the face, those guys. He said you can do that. He used it. I forget the term Shia Islam and Sunni Islam is termed tak, well, in Sunni, in Sunni extremist circles are the term takfir. And that means like they're not a real Muslim. So it's basically what I say you can kill them if you want to. Wow. 
uh, Shias have a similar, like extremist Shias have a similar term, I forget what it is, but he said that. He said, these protesters are that, they're not real Muslims. So go ahead and kill them. And they started killing them. So no, this is not a good person. You know, so don't, don't get that twisted. I mean, if you're gonna use the, the morality to, to impugn what we do on those lines, you have to do the same thing then. So this is a case where the enemy of my enemy is just another war criminal, he's just a bastard. Um, hmm. So that's Qasem Soleimani. That's who we killed. Now, for a long time, the idea of killing him was obviously out there, but nobody did it because, well, we're seeing it, this potential second, third order effects, you know. Um, so a lot of times it was a matter of just sort of uh, trying to, to, to combat the effects of what he was doing. And I think that's a large part of why he was killed, because he, he like most other people, myself included, was like, they won't hit him. You won't. You won't do it. So he's driving around in Iraq and, you know, full view. And then, uh, well, Trump is the kind of motherfucker to do it. So <laughs> bye bye. we are. Uh, yeah. Jesus. So that's, that's basically what happened. So obviously after he was killed, that's what things are super complicated. You have all the militia groups in Iraq who are like blood for blood. And you have the Iranians who are like blood for blood. But then there's a lot of practical things in the way. Like, can they actually wage war with, their, with America right now? Can they afford it? Like I said, they've been sanctioned to the point where they're on their heels. They have a ton of civil unrest at home. There's a ton of civil unrest in Iraq. Can they actually fight a war? No. So World War III, just to, to nip that in the butt, and can be no World War III. Yeah, I didn't think so. I've yeah. heard that Iran doesn't even have like nuclear power, really. Uh, I can't talk about that. Um, Damn. I, I was hoping to drag it out of you. Anything, um, about that. But, uh, it's that close. Yeah. Um, about to break it open on own, News for News, man. <laughs> I know, right? Use your own logic on that one, right? Like, I will ask you this. If they had a, if they had a nuclear bomb and the point is a deterrent, don't you think they'd be waving it around to say, hey, don't come over here because we can nuke you? Yeah, that's what so, I was thinking too. I mean, they, they've never really done like a, you know, a showing of that or anything like North Korea tries to do. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah everybody thinks that's the main point of a nuke is a deterrent. When you have one, you advertise it so people don't fuck with you. Right. So um, just like I said, you, you use your own logic on that one. Well, we've been having this conversation. Um, mm-hmm. Something just came across my phone. States, Iraq's parliament calls for expulsion of U.S. troops from the country following drone attack. And that happened today. Mm-hmm. So there, we're getting kicked out of Iraq. No, we're not. So we are there <laughs> by the invitation. <laughs> we're there by the invitation of their executive branch. Okay. Right? So their their prime minister uh, has the the in this uh, in say of that. I'm sorry, that was an overstatement. We still may be. Yes, you're you're right. But them saying uh, them passing that them having that vote that was sort of symbolic. Okay. It's saying, hey, we we want them out, kick them out. So now it's up to the PM. Is he going to listen? to the uh, Shia majority parliament that actually voted in the absence of the Sunni and the Kurdish uh, contingent to parliament. parliament. They, they actually abstained from the vote as a protest because they were like, this is bullshit, you guys are Iranian proxies. That's the degree to which Iran has infiltrated that government. Okay. The, the majority bloc is, is many of the, literally a lot of the guys we were fighting from 2003 on are now politicians and they're in the Iranian, they're in the Iraqi parliament. So it was, it was a, it was a, and as some people see it as a sham vote. It was like, obviously you're gonna say that. So now it's up to the PM to either toe the line or say, you know what? American sustain. If he does that, he may die. But I mean, that's, oh. that's uh, the situation right now. But uh, so it, it's it's been more complicated than a headline makes it seem. Is what I mean uh-huh. to say, to you, Seth. Uh-huh. I didn't mean to just be like, no, you're wrong. But yeah, that's well. Don't forget, Seth. You're also uh, a big consumer of fake news. Um, I <laughs> I don't I don't agree. Taking an inside joke. I don't agree with that. I mean, I I guess if we're going by Trump standards, yes. 
that's fake news. Oh, CNN? Yeah, they do, do a lot of fake news. But anyways. Yeah. Uh, Ash, can I ask you what you prefer to consume for news? Uh, to maybe so our listeners can maybe get a more unbiased approach if they don't already have one. Ooh, and I want to know who you're voting for for news. 22. That's what I want to know also. So what news are you? do you listen to and then who are you voting for? Um, news is complicated, right? So I have this, once again, my, my particular function in this community that I work in is to know as much about everything as I can. So I, I honestly, I consume all news. I look at everything. But you the, prefer the Infowars.com, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Alex Jones, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that, Ash. Appreciate it. I tell my permission. <laughs> um, but listen, uh, so yeah, I, I, I watch, well, watch is the wrong term. I don't have time to watch anything. Um, I will say this, honestly, people at large, if you have time, the best way to consume information is not to watch. Literally, if you just like time out a documentary, in two hours, they get as much information as the cheat flaps of a book, mm. right? So reading is, is the most powerful, it's dense. And for the amount of time you put into it, you learn so much more. Anyway, my little plug for libraries. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, to answer your question, like I said, in general, I consume a lot of everything. And a lot of what I do is try to look at primary sources. So that, that's a, there you go. A, a strategy I have is like, if Fox News says something, I say, where did you get that? That's right. the trick. If CNN says this, where did you get that? And then you have to become very sensitive to, like I said, the, the biases of, of a certain outlet, right? So like I know Fox, like I said, I know they're gonna be on high alert for any threat because one of the fundamentals of any kind of conservative perspective is security fear. and stability. And you know, yeah, and security is linked very closely to fear. Exactly. So they're gonna be our enemies everywhere at all times. So you just have to understand that. There are times, like I said, they're gonna call out exactly what they should call out and say, okay, hey man, because because they're predisposed to think that way. But there are times where they're going to say some shit. I'm like, yeah, turn it up a little. And on the other hand, somebody like CNN, they're going to try to espouse a certain middle of the road uh, perspective. So a lot of times they're going to try to play down things, like I said, the role of Gospel Soleimani, because they don't want to be seen as towing that line of saying, yeah, he was a monster. So you have to be aware of the biases. But I, I'm not, I'm, I think I'm not really answering the heart of your question. You're really, Andy, it's, it's who do I prefer, right? That's what you're kind of getting at. Um, you want me to talk about politics there? Is that what kind of? Sure, why not? towards uh <laughs> libertarian i assume <laughs> well well this is where things get interesting so um my my ideal i'm, I'm tulsi 2020 kind of an anarchist really um oh wow i like what uh henry david thoreau said he was quoting i think one of the founding fathers he flipped the quote the government which governs best is that which governs not at all and when men are ready for it they shall have such a government so that's mm -hmm. my ideal but here's the thing, we're not ready for that government. We ain't ready for that. Right. And I totally see that. Um, so when I take a step back from that, I think of, of what's called left libertarianism is what I start to kind of like. Um, so libertarian being the idea of obviously, you know, I'm okay, you're okay. You can do whatever you want to the, to the degree that doesn't hurt somebody else yeah. in a nutshell, right? Kind yeah. of libertarianism. Yeah. But in the States, we talk about libertarianism, we tend to think right libertarianism. You know, we tend to think of people who are libertarian rightly in america libertarian is essentially it's like right light you know, for like these sort of <laughs> exactly that's exactly i would agree completely yeah but we don't understand that yeah that's there's a such thing as the left libertarian and it's like the idea of like the same basic ideas of like freedom like hey do what you want as long as you hurt somebody else with this added caveat that we do think it's incumbent on whatever government we have to try to ensure some sense of of uh, equity among the people yeah i guess we should have some something a safety net some welfare programs some things to kind of help people out a little bit 
Yeah. Whereas a lot of times right libertarians will be like, oh, why am I paying for this other person's Medicare? It's like, because they can't fucking afford it. And they're a poor single mother and they made some bad decisions. But if you were down and out, you'd want to know. So, you know, pay $5 a year to help this lady out. Jesus Christ. Be a human. (laughs) Speaking like personal experience here. I mean, like you can, you can look at this and say, okay, well, he's saying it because he's biased, whatever. Like I grew up with government assistance. I was very poor when I was a kid. Like people don't understand how poor you can be in America and not telling my life story. They're like, what the fuck? I'm like, yeah, man, like I'm talking like water turned off, sewage in front of the house, nobody picking up uh, the garbage because that part of the state doesn't get services. Like it, it was bad. And like I, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't be who I was if, if, if my family didn't get help from the government. So I, I see how that, how that can work and not in like the way a lot of right wing people say it, it enables all this laziness. No, my mom was over and over my mom. You remember my mom? Yeah. Very hardworking, brilliant woman. We needed assistance. She needed, she made some bad decisions in life, but that doesn't mean she was a bad person or lazy. She was taking care of me, my little sister, my brother, and seven of my little cousins working full time. Fuck out of here. Like she needed help. We got help. And I wouldn't be who I was if 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 we didn't get that. It, it enabled me to not stress out being a homeless teenager at one point, a homeless child at one point. That it enabled me to, to be able to concentrate enough to to actually develop the person I am. And I have to, you know, go to some whatever kind of lifestyle I have to go into to live. Um the life I wanted. You see my point? So anyway, left libertarianism. Yes, give people freedom, but you need to help people out. I think but that's even an that incredibly is a powerful story that you just shared. I mean, that's a lot of people that will listen to this probably fall, you know, in a libertarian mindset or, you know, maybe they're not set on one specific path, but whenever, whenever a libertarian hears your story and says, man, people do need help. Like that's going to challenge them and their beliefs. Like there's, there's no reason why you have to be so black and white with your politics. It's like, there are people that actually need help. So something has to be done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I I really appreciate your story there. I was going to, I meant that as an aside, but you're you're a good point that that right there could be a podcast in itself. That's yeah. It's absolutely politics in that way. Um, I guess one more button on that, if you want to think of it in a, pr- a prudent sort of Anne Randian sort of selfish way, if you help the poor, they're less likely to rob you, <laughs> to revolt, <laughs> to vote to vote against your interests. Like give people a reason to not agitate. Yeah, it's that simple. So like, yeah. You Subdue could, the masses. Hey man, yeah, in a way, yeah, give them fucking, give them, give them a, Oh God, what the Romans say? Anyway, yeah, give them, give them, give them a little butter so they, so they're, they're happy, you know. Mm-hmm. You know so yeah. now, now going into 2020, obviously you, uh, <laughs> Trump you obviously just, just, you just described your political leanings, and I would say Almost. no candidate um, represents that, uh, you know, perfectly. But no. who, who, I don't know. It just, it seems weird that Joe Biden's the guy that. People are, you know, the, the media God. is kind of choosing. Creepy Joe Biden. Um, yeah. Wouldn't even, but, him, wouldn't even let him watch my kids. No, God, no. <laughs> Much less the nation. Wash or watch? Because I wouldn't let him wash my kids. Oh, either, what'd you say? Oh, neither one. Okay. Would you, would, they'd Trump? be playing with his leg hair if he washed them. <laughs> I'm sorry, Andy. What were you, were you? Were you finished with your question? Well, just was <laughs> there a question there? From the candidates that you've seen, who would you most likely? cast your vote for and who do you wish was running all right um i'm, I'm going to tactically refrain from answering that to a point okay nice 
Um, yeah. Now, I'm going to be honest, and I'm a little ashamed to admit this. My job is such that right now I haven't been able to keep on domestic politics as, as well as I can, which is funny because I'm sitting there thinking compared to the average American, I'm probably still far more informed. But like, I'm not as informed yeah. as I want to be right now on a lot of these candidates. Um, my gut tells me, though, in a lot of ways, we're repeating the same mistakes we did last time. The Democrats, the, the media is sort of trying to put its power behind what they think is the safe bet, Joe mm-hmm. Biden, but it's not the bet that captures anybody's imagination. The last election, if you ask me, it was it was clearly going to be a populist who was going to win. It's going to be Bernie Sanders or yep. Trump. That's right. Obviously. And Bernie would have beat Trump. And Bernie probably would have beat him because there were more. I forget the exact numbers. Once again, please, please fact check me. Look it up. Anybody's listening. But like, if I recall correctly, during your average election year, it's something like about 20% of people don't vote. During that election, that almost doubled. It was like in the 30s that didn't vote. That those people who didn't vote, I th- I'm pretty sure from you know sort of anecdotal like experience, like meeting people, those aren't people who did who who uh, who were gonna vote for you know some Republican and didn't. Those people were gonna vote for Bernie and didn't. Right. They were like, you know what, fuck it, they're gonna fuck more by voting at all. Which I would say, you know, that's on their head too. Then if they don't like this guy and he won, you should you should have compromised, voted for Hillary if that's what you really wanted. Um, but. Yeah, that's the case. So I think, and I think we, we may see a repeat of that where people are like, there's no one, there's no populist. Now, we can get into that too. I don't think populists are a good idea all the time. Like, Jesus Christ. I think we're frothing at the mouthful. People want that feeling that they're, they're, they have a one to one relationship with the, the democracy of these countries and they represent democracy. Somebody's going to help them directly. Like, is that even what we want? That's an aside. Um, but yeah, anyway, it, 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 I think we're still in that fervor. We still want to pop it. I think people on the yeah. left want somebody who's going to make people on the right. And there's nobody that, that caps that imagination right now. Uh, meanwhile, people on the right, they're getting that out of Trump. He's sticking to the libs. So, you know. <laughs> he really is. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you brought up Hillary because I was watching uh, some de- old debate stuff the other day about Iran. And uh, Mike Gravel, who's a senator uh, or was a senator, um, calls her out on stage for voting to go to war with Iran that very day. Uh, so, you know, even if Trump hadn't been in office, I bet Hillary probably would have, you know, already tried to go to war with Iran anyway. So, yeah, yeah, I think this is probably inevitable. What do you think? Oh, that's a really good hypothetical. Um, Super hypothetical, but I mean, you know, She well, was war hungry to go, you know. <clears throat> I uh, think, and this is this is actually once again, everyone my politics. Well, one of the things. Okay, so when I do vote, I, I've always had this perspective of this. A lot of the domestic stuff that he, that Americans get super caught up on um, is going to take care of itself, right? Because a lot of stuff is even decided by the president, unless he's going to start doing what the president shouldn't do and trying to direct a lot of domestic policy. That's a lot of that's judicial and legislative branch. Mm-hmm. A lot of that's local government. Um, so when I look at a president, the, one of the first things I ask myself is uh, how many people are going to, <laughs> how many people are going to die as a result of this person's actions? What's the, what's the net loss of life period? Not even just American period. How many people are going to die? And I tend to think of things that way when I look at presidents, right? So like I look at, let's say a president who, who his foreign policy seems to be built around a very, a very, uh, maybe neocon perspective. And he, so he's going to favor large scale military actions. That's going to have a larger net of lost life. And then I look at somebody who maybe follows a more, uh, 
you know, we must say like the, the way the neoliberals tend to do things, the way Obama do things, right? They're going to use drone strikes. It's going to be very precise, very surgical. It's going to be the intention of the same effects, but you're going to see a, a less loss of life for everybody, for uh, us and our enemies. So I think Hillary Clinton fell into that latter camp. I think she would have obviously been antagonistic towards Iran, but I don't see how we continue to do this type of things on strikes to try to put pressure on. Um, could that have resulted in, in, in war? Yeah, but I don't think it would have been nearly as um, flagrant. And so and so I guess I'm saying yeah, probably, but but less likely will we've actually gone to all a war with Iran. And like I said, once again, hey man, we're not, I don't think we're going to war with Iran. They know they can't. They don't want this smoke, to put it shortly. They, they can't handle a fall of war. Okay, so I... I'm looking here and I'm seeing some issues with timing. Okay. So like Hillary may have been for that, in which case this wouldn't have probably happened at the end of her third term. Um, sorry, third year, whatever coming up on an election. Um, in fact, Donald Trump mm -hmm. has tweets from 2012 in which he's attacking Barack Obama saying <laughs> that he's going to declare war on Iran so that he can stay in office another four years. And here we are, another distraction. And yep. I'm just saying the timing looks very yep. different. Like, one, with Hillary, with your point here, Chris, that's a policy standpoint. I don't think that Trump is operating out of policy. I think he's operating out of reaction. And I, I think Trump is, is, is reacting out of however he fucking feels that day. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't think he has any rhyme or reason for a lot of the things he does, but that doesn't change the fact that Hillary Clinton is a warmongering, you know, crazy woman but she's also, who would have been horrible in office. But she's also not in office. So yeah, but I mean, that's why we need Gary many, Johnson. Gary Johnson. So I mean, I, why am I talking about a hypothetical when this is really <laughs> happening? I, yeah, I mean, I don't because because everyone thinks that Trump is the only one that would do this, or that Trump is the only one that wants you know to to go and start a war or whatever. Probably at the end of his the term when he's terrified that he's going to be kicked out of office or no longer. He's not, not terrified. He knows election. for a fact he'll be back in office. No, have you looked at the Democratic candidates? There's no fucking way he doesn't take office. And he knows it. I, his Twitter he's speaks not against that. His Twitter speaks like he's constantly nervous. He's complaining about everything every day. All right. Anyway, boys, Sorry. you guys can argue Sorry, about Ash. this later. <laughs> I apologize, Ash. I just the timing looks. I I don't like it. Uh, I mean, once that's one of the things that like I'm not gonna really super get into, but like I would say, use your logic. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. I see that. Um, once again, small, it goes back to the first thing I said, the right, sometimes a bad idea, just, it, it may work out, but that doesn't mean it was a good idea. You know, it it could be that we, if we in, in a very pie in the sky sort of uh, situation, we could have just pulled the Ayatollah's bitch card, hardcore. They may not be able to really do any meaningful response to what we've done and it could show how weak they are. And then we may see the end of what is a totalitarian horrible regime in the country. That doesn't mean this was a good idea. That doesn't mean like, to your point, Seth, that like this wasn't real convenient timing, but like it just may work out. Maybe, yeah, that's... that's Do you think that that's the likely end goal of all of this is that Iran gets to topple the uh, totalitarianism? It's a possible end goal. Likely, I don't I don't say. Are y'all are are up on estimative language? Do y'all know what, what that is? I like... Uh, I'm not familiar. I have no idea. You'll notice that I say things like, like impossible... 
it's it's a thing the intelligence community you give assessments there's there's technically speaking doctrinal terms you use in any precise percentages so if you say likely impossible i'm sort of trained to think in these percentages so excuse me if i like use these terms and i guess your viewers should understand when i say likely i mean about 70 percent okay you know, when i say possible i mean i'm not i'm not assigning a percentage i'm saying it's on the table though it's not impossible it's like these sense. things that I, I just realized like i'm i'm using those terms i'm like ah, i should probably be clear here i'm, I'm using them very precisely <laughs> um so it's very possible that, that could happen I don't know. I'm not prepared to say how likely it is. Gotcha. And who would who would you who who do you wish rather uh, was running? <laughs> it's early. I How many different up, ways I can we ask this question? This. <laughs> <laughs> who do you wish was running? Like who would be um, your ideal presidential candidate? Joe I Rogan. I mean, if you're saying like a, you want me to talk about a personality who's in the world, who well, I'm like that person. Sure. Yeah, Stephen Colbert. Yeah. I, I don't have anybody. Okay. Seriously, there's nobody I'd say is an ideal candidate mm-hmm. at all. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, I think the idea the, of the president's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a different discussion, I guess. But yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah, I just, and that's sort of the nature of my beliefs in politics on things. I don't, I don't really. Sometimes I don't know if there'd be anybody who'd be exactly what I want to see. Um, just once you get. To, when, the type of person who Sam going to run for president is probably not the type of person I want to be president. Right. Exactly. Yeah. If, so if you're like, going for the power, yeah, you probably don't need it. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine that person. It would, it would be some some megalomaniac. Well, they're bred from birth, pretty much at this point, you know, to be president. So it's <laughs> you uh, ain't lying, man. Yeah, these people are groomed. Yeah, and, and you have to pretty much from, like from a young age, like learn to you know ignore everything that you think is right and and try to just be popular. It's ridiculous. Yes, yeah, well, even Obama, who when he was president, I was critical. But since I've joined the military, I've come to weirdly respect. Look, you would surprise, maybe surprise you that certain thing. I was like looking back, I was like, damn, I was actually really smart. But people didn't get it. Um, but even him, you're right. Like, there's times where I think about that, I'm like, who the fuck do you think he was? Do you think he'd be president? <laughs> <laughs> who says that? <laughs> I'm gonna be the leader of the free. I'm gonna be the most powerful man in the world one day. What? Like, yeah, it's. And yeah, it, it takes a certain person, you know, to, to be able to, ha- maybe it's egotistical person to say, oh, yes. I've got the right answer for the entire population. Yeah. Absolutely. It's called know. a mental health disorder called narcissistic personality disorder. <laughs> I, I bet that every president has that. <laughs> you pretty much have to. Well, yeah. oh, Ash, this has been a I've pleasure. Got, oh, you got another I've question. I've got one Chris. more question. Okay. Just one more question. If you don't it better mind. be a good one. Mm-hmm. I hope so. So Ash, as someone who grew up in poverty, who, um, you know, wasn't afforded the, the privilege that others are in this world to start out with, um, you know, more than what you had, um, why even go and fight for the country? You know, you, you already said you're kind of an anarchist, so you don't necessarily even believe in the system. Uh, the system didn't do you any favors as a youngster, you know, so why is it that you feel like you want to go and, and fight for that? Good question. Um, so <laughs> y- y'all see the movie seven. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, we, yeah. Just, we just talked about in it. our movies that motor me. It's going to be released this weekend. <laughs> oh, that's back. What a, what a wonderful segment. Um, so there's that line at the end of the movie where Morgan Freeman What's like, in the uh, box? <laughs> well, there's that line too, yeah. Um, there's a line where Morgan Freeman, he's like, uh, Ernest Hemingway once said, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. Mm. I agree with the second part. Like, 
yeah, the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. The world is a horrible place in a lot of, by a lot of metrics, but it's worth fighting for because it's all we have. Um, America, by some metrics, is not that great, right? For some people, like to your point, like I, if anybody got the the the, the shaft in this, it's people who grew up like I did. Like I did. Um, but it's all we got, and I don't mean that in like a damn. I'm, this is the only country I know. I've I've been around the world. Like uh, I mean. <laughs> I'm gonna say this and people are gonna take it some kind of funny way. It is what it is though. As fucked up as things are in this country sometimes and as fucked up as they are in this world, this is the best we've done as, as humans so far. And yeah. it's, 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 I say that fully understanding all the implications of it. Like I said, you've had slavery, you've had you know, people, you've had people, it's horrible at times, I get it. I've lived it, I'm from that. But go somewhere else. It, it sounds it, like a conservative, like talking point. <laughs> oh, go live over there. But like, there's a point at which I'm sorry. That's kind of true. And like, I don't mean that in a so shut up and stop complaining. Here's the, here's here's why I straddle the line on that. Activists have a place here in this country. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I talk about the left libertarian thing. There's things that need to be fixed, and that's their work to do it. The only problem with them is when they take what should be sort of domestic pressures. And then they look out into other spheres and think they know what they're talking about. Kind of like we're talking about this guy, Soleimani. You have people like, uh, what's his name, Colin Kaepernick, released some statement on Twitter condemning what we've done against Qasem Soleimani and like, oh, it's typical America. I'm not surprised they do this because they typically exploit brown people. And it's like, you realize that brown person would kill you in a heartbeat. Like, right. it, this is not worth, you have a place, Colin. I support. Does he have a place like. though? Is he still around? Is he still relevant? He's not all that relevant. No, but I mean, the point is like his original take a knee thing. I supported yeah, well, yeah. it. Honestly. Hell yeah. Me well, too. I, I supported that. I got what he was doing. Gosh, 100%. When it comes to like making important political life decisions, I always like <clears> to go <throat> off of the voices of, prior athletes i just i feel like they <laughs> uh just have you know they're cued in on all and the celebrity or movie like, stars yeah yeah definitely yeah. Really. they're the most important opinions but you see what i'm saying though right? like as an activist he had a point he yeah. made it it was good but when he takes that perspective and tries to apply right. it to everything to that's when he just look like an idiot and that's the to national security so that's, yeah that's too far yeah so that's I, I would fight for this country to answer your question because I do think in a lot of ways, the future of a humanity that can maybe someday get on a spaceship and colonize another planet, the humanity of a, uh, the, the humanity that can uh, create a gene therapy that can, that can cure birth defects, things like that, all these beautiful things that we want to see in the future. I don't, I don't see the Taliban working towards that. You know no, I mean? And I don't, I, I doubt Putin's going to pull that off. <laughs> that's, that's, Frankly speaking, for all the horrible things we've done, that's that's best. The, the germ, the the egg that could blossom into that is 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 here. So I want to protect that. It's a great, great fucking answer, man. Dude, Ash, just hearing your voice again and talking with you just reminds me once again, like how much I valued our relationship and how much I miss just these type of conversations. The the levels that you just peel things back. Um, with ease also like i appreciate you taking the time um you know to speak with us and breaking things down to where like i came into this conversation knowing little to nothing and i feel slightly more like informed and so i, I really appreciate that a whole lot and thanks for being willing uh, to share and being vulnerable with your story and 
Um, honestly, I would love to have you back on sometime to discuss something else Same. or just honestly just hear your yes. story some more because I think people, you have a really powerful story. I know a lot about it and I'd love for the listeners to get a chance to hear that. So, If you've enjoyed this conversation, I want to let you know that there are a few ways to get involved in our community and learn more about us. We're active on Facebook as well as Instagram. Um, for those who support us at $5 a month, you can check us out on Marco Polo, where you can talk with not only our listeners, but also the cast, as well as the people we interview. So there's further conversation that often happens there. We've got a website, fadedgraypodcast.com, where you can, of course, find the infamous merchandise like the Poor Seth mugs, as well as the Findlay Fade to Gray hats, which honestly are pretty cool. Um, so there are ways of learning about us there. And again, I just want to say thank you so much for, for listening to this episode um, and checking us out. We really appreciate you looking into us as we really try to put out quality content on the reg. And then also, I just want to give a big shout out to Omar Williams for editing this episode. And then also the intro and outro music is by the wonderful Dan Koch, who has his own website and following. Be sure to check him out. And with that, stay classy. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.